Let me pray for us. Lord, may we be reminded, as we already have been this morning, to live in light of eternity. Lord, to live our lives now for as many days as you would see fit to give us in light of forever. Lord, we need your grace to do that. So pour your grace into the hearts of your people this morning. Lord, as we look into your word now, I pray that you would speak to us in a a deep, deep way. And do that work that only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I offer this prayer in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, there is a study outline in your worship folder, and uh, you can take it out at this time and follow along with us, and you know that our topic in this series that we're on is generosity, and uh, with a particular emphasis on our motivations for giving and for being generous, and this is something we think about a lot, I think, this time of year, don't we? Giving. This topic encompasses how we think about money and the place that money has been given in our hearts, as well as how we use money. And I think this is something that um, not only do we need to get, but we need our kids to get. We who are parents need, and I know we have a deep desire to to, to see our children just grow up in God and, and understand Jesus' way of looking at life and thinking about life. So as we walk through this this morning, those of us who are parents or grandparents, let's think about not only this in relation to ourselves, but in terms of imparting it to our children, because this is so desperately important for them to get. Well, Jesus Christ had a lot to say about the topic of money. In fact, when he was here on this earth, Jesus said more about money and how to think about money and how to handle it than he said about heaven and hell combined. Did you know that? This is a very important topic to him. He no doubt knew that money and the things that money can buy and the power that money would wield in this world would be primary concerns of ours and would really have the potential to dominate our whole lives. And so he spoke often about it. And I want to remind us this morning that the words of Jesus Christ are life-giving words. Amen? John 6.63, he said that. He said, my words are spirit and they are life. They give life, they breathe life into the human soul. And so as we hear the words of Jesus this morning, let's receive the life that comes to us through his words. I just want to note a few things before we dive into Jesus on money. I want to remind you that when Jesus spoke about things, when he walked this earth and taught, he hadn't yet died or risen from the grave. So his teachings on money recorded in the Gospels were given prior to the cross. This is important because it means that gospel truths about generosity and giving were only really hinted at by Jesus. They weren't yet in full view. We don't find Jesus relating generosity to how he laid down his life, like Paul would do years later, excuse me, because he hadn't yet laid down his life. And so he would leave it in large part to Paul and the other apostles to fully explain generosity in light of the cross, in light of gospel realities. What we do find in Jesus' teaching, though, is that he advocated viewing and handling money with wisdom. With wisdom. Say, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is the lifestyle that flows from having God's view on all of life. That's what wisdom is. Seeing all of life from God's point of view, not the culture's point of view. And so we often will see Jesus speaking speaking about money 
in light of eternity. And that is wisdom. That is God's perspective. Challenge for us at times to think about eternity. Third thing I want to note is that our motivations for being generous, what's in our heart, matter to Jesus Christ. When he spoke about money, he didn't really key in on amounts, you know, that we should be giving or saving or investing. He didn't really key in on percentages, but he talked a lot about the heart, our heart motivations for how we view and handle money. We see it in places like Matthew 6, 2, where he said, thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. That was their motive. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So as we said last week, our motives were extremely important to Jesus Christ when it came to this matter of generosity and giving. I must say, Jesus had so much to say on this topic that condensing it down into one sermon is nearly impossible. (laughs) And I run the risk this morning of leaving important things out, and I run the risk of lifting statements out of their context, which I will try and not do. But I want us to key in this morning on several summary statements that Jesus made on this topic, all the while remembering that his words are life-giving words. So let's start here. Perhaps one of the most stunning and countercultural statements that Jesus ever made about money is this one, found in Luke 12, 15. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Would you say that with me? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Man, I want to see that on one of these new digital billboards one day. This is wisdom, this is truth, these are life-giving words, and they are words that fly in the face of our culture, aren't they? Every billboard you've ever driven past, every commercial you've seen on TV screams out at us, life does consist in the abundance of our possessions. Having the right stuff or a lot of stuff seems to be the, the prevailing message in our culture, but according to Jesus... The one who towers over all human cultures, he says that is a lie. Your life, my life, does not consist in the things that we own, the accumulation of our possessions. That's not true. Believing lies leads to death and bondage, not life and freedom. Man, we need our kids to get this, don't we? Especially this time of year. Jesus is so wise. He went on to tell a parable that further illustrated this truth found in Luke 12. Here it is. He told them a parable, a story, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Your future is secure. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, wouldn't you agree that when God calls you a fool, that's a bad day? You don't want that to happen, and I hope none of that happens to any of us. 
The Bible declares in Proverbs 11.25 that wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. Worthless. Net worth has no worth on judgment day. But down here and in the here and now, it often seems like money is king, doesn't it? You've heard the new golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. You've seen the bumper sticker, whoever dies with the most toys wins. I know that's meant to be kind of a tongue-in-cheek motto, but doesn't it seem like so many people are actually living that way, living as if that was true? But here comes Jesus onto the scene, and he absolutely shreds the prevailing value system of his day and of our day. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Don't make the mistake of thinking that accumulating lots of stuff, accumulating lots of toys amounts to real living. It it doesn't, Jesus said. It's empty in the end. Real life is found elsewhere. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Notice that Jesus spoke in that story about uh, being rich towards God. Rich towards God. That brings us to a second statement to consider. From Matthew 6, 20 and 21, the life-giving words of Jesus here. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's say that together. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This statement is part of a larger teaching that Jesus gave. And here's the rest of the context. From Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. No thieves in heaven, no burglary in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That rich guy in that story that Jesus told was sharply rebuked by God for only laying up treasure for himself down here on the earth instead of considering heaven and eternity. You know, living and giving with eternity in view was a constant theme of Jesus in his teaching. And that's because that's the essence of wisdom, living with eternity in view, living with God's perspective living down here in a way that affects up there, living here and now in a way that impacts eternity. That's wisdom, and Jesus spoke much of this. But maybe you're like me. When you hear this phrase, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, you ask, well, how? (laughs) How? We know how people lay up for themselves treasures down here on the earth, but how do you lay up treasure in heaven? How do you go about doing that? You've heard the the statement one guy made, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You know, there's some truth to that, really. In a funny sort of way, that man was right. When you examine the biblical teaching on this matter of laying up treasure in heaven, what you find is this. The way you lay up treasure up there is by giving it away down here. The way we lay up treasure in heaven is by giving away treasure down here on the earth. Listen to Jesus' words to some other guys. Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, talking to the rich young ruler here, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have, what does it say? Treasure in heaven, and come, 
follow me. We lay up treasure up there by giving away our treasure down here. Luke 12, 33, he reinforced that. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. They must have had lots of issues with moths and thieves back in the day. We have uh, stock markets and things that reduce wealth. We store up treasure up there by giving away treasure down here. That's what it says. You might recall this verse from last week in our study in 1 Timothy 6. Instructions given to wealthy people in this age, like, like us. 1 Timothy 6.18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Again, we store up treasure up there by giving away treasure down here. If we want to avoid foolishness, folly, and be rich towards God, if we want to store up treasure in heaven, where the interest rate on our investment, according to Jesus, is 10,000%, a hundredfold, and the dividends are out of this world, then let us be generous down here on the earth. That's what he was saying. Let's be ready to share our resources with others and give as much of our treasure away down here as we can. Up there, we'll get to keep it all. Down here, we don't, do we? It can disappear overnight. Heavenly investing is wise investing for sure. And then he said, where your treasure is, by the way, that's where your heart's going to be. Your heart follows your investment. You want to be more invested in heaven? You want your heart to be there? And give away treasure down here on the earth. And our kids need to get this, don't they? We as parents need to help our children understand money and how to think about money and how Jesus thought about money. Well, speaking of investing, think about the stories that Jesus told on several occasions about masters who went away and entrusted their servants with all of their resources and told them to invest them wisely. Remember those stories? The parable of the talents, the parable of the minas, these stories contain more of Jesus' life-giving words about money and how we should think about money. Here's a verse that summarizes this principle of stewardship from a negative standpoint, Luke 16, 12. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Say this with me. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? That's kind of curious, isn't it? You know what he's saying? He's saying that your money is not your money. And my money is not my money. This gets closer to the heart of the matter. Whose money is it? Our culture screams out, it's it's my money. I work hard for my money. I earned it. It's mine to do with whatever I please. But you know what? You take a huge step in your spiritual maturity and growth when you acknowledge it is not my money. It is God's money. He owns it all. You'll take a a step of spiritual growth when you transfer the title deed to everything you have to God because it's his anyway. Think about it. God made us in the first place. He gave us life, comes from Him. 
He gave us the intellectual capacities we have or the natural abilities we have that enable us to earn an income. He keeps our hearts beating for another day. He keeps our brain waves functioning even at this very moment. Whether or not we realize it, we are totally and completely dependent upon God for our very existence, even in this moment. The income we earn from using His gifts to us is really His. In fact, God has the audacity to claim that everything is His. 1 Corinthians 10, 29, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Exodus 19, 5, he says, all the earth is mine. Well, he made it. Job 41, 11, he says, whatever is under the whole heavens is mine. Psalm 50, 10, he says, every beast in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Ezekiel 18, 4, all souls are mine. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And to believers, he says this in 1 Corinthians 6.19, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. God says, I own everything. I made it, I redeemed it, it's mine. Therefore, we are simply stewards or managers of what is the master's possession. In his parables on stewardship, Jesus taught very clearly that stewards someday will give an account of their stewardship when the master comes back. Those who handle the master's resources skillfully and faithfully and profitably will be rewarded. And those who didn't, well, look at it again. If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, you're handling God's stuff, who will give you that which is your own? And so I believe I wouldn't be a faithful spiritual shepherd if I did not urge you to handle God's money faithfully while you are here on this earth, to handle his money as a good steward. I know it irks some of you to hear it again. Your money is not your money. Your house is not your house. Your cars are not your cars. Your retirement account is not your retirement account. It is all God's. He owns it all. If you desire to have real wealth one day that will really be yours to keep and hold on to for eternity, then give careful consideration to how you handle the owner's stuff right now. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this truth. Thank you for your life-giving words, even when they hurt a little bit, even when they go against the grain of what we're hearing everywhere else in our culture. Now, look at this next statement from the lips of Jesus Christ. Many of you will like this one more. Give, and it shall be given to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Luke 6, 38. Let's say this together. Give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This sounds a lot like what Paul would write years later. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Last weekend, I alluded to this spiritual law that exists in our universe. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And I mentioned that, that this is really some people's motivation for giving. <laughs> Give and you will get. That may not be the highest motivation or the most noble motivation for giving and being generous, but Jesus did state this as a general axiom of life. Give and it will be given to you. 
Or Proverbs 11.25 says it this way, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, I do think that some pastors and Christians have taken these words of Jesus and turned them into a formula or an equation by which they start expecting or even demanding that God give back to them in the way they think he should do that based on this verse. I think that's unwise and arrogant. We do reap what we sow, yes, but we know how the harvest works. You sow in one season and you reap in another season, right? I think it's more accurate to view Jesus' statement here as a general axiom for how life works rather than a formula for obligating God to give us what we want on our timetable. Having said that, though, there are times when the sovereign God of the universe gives an immediate return on our giving because he's good. Here's an email I received a couple weeks ago from a small, one of our small group leaders. They said, on Sunday at our small group, a guy was sharing that he had left the service on Sunday and forgot to give his tithe because funds were low. And in small group, he shared that he was feeling convicted about that. Then someone else shared their story, uh, how being single and short of funds, they were still committed to giving, God, giving to God and God had provided for them. And so this guy also explained that the OSU Buckeyes had become his idol in the past year and how he has realized this and has now put God first in his life. Probably helps when they keep blowing it, huh? Not a very good idol. The small group leader says, I told this man that if he wanted to write a check to the church, I would make sure the church got it, and that's what he did. Then on Monday morning, he shared that he got an email from some radio station that he had won a drawing and would receive two OSU tickets to the Penn State game and a $50 gift card to Kroger's. God is so good. <laughs> Give, and it shall be given unto you. Although I'm sure now he wished that the outcome had turned out a little differently. Here's an email I received this week from one of our staff members sharing about what happened to their nephew not long ago. He was driving and he stopped at a stoplight and there was a homeless man standing there on the corner holding a sign that said, anything will help, God bless you. A very common sight in the city that he lives in. And so they said, my nephew did something that he doesn't normally do. He pulled $2 out of his pocket, rolled down his window and handed it to the man the man proceeded to pull a $5 bill out of his pocket and hand it back to my nephew and said, what you give, you shall receive in abundance. My nephew was speechless. <laughs> I guess so. That doesn't happen every day. Here's two bucks. Well, here's five. <laughs> You're going to try that today, aren't you, Joey? <laughs> Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. For sure, it will come back to us in eternity. For sure, in eternity, probably in this life too, and maybe even immediately, just because God is good. Well, two more statements from the lips of Jesus, more of his life-giving words for our souls. Luke 6, 19, 16, 9, whatever, Luke, it's in there, it says this, 16, 9, I'm sorry. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That's an interesting statement. Say it aloud with me. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. This statement came at the conclusion of another of Jesus' parables on money. 
This one is called the parable of the shrewd manager, and and here it is. Here's the story, Luke 16, verse 1. He also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man, his manager, was wasting his possessions. And so he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in an account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. What would we call that? Fired downsized, let go. And the manager said to himself, oh no, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, I'm ashamed to beg, I know what I'll do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses, I'll have a place to go. Here's the idea. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, scratch that out, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and scratch that out, write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Here's what Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, means when it's gone, when your money's gone, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now this story has confused many Christians throughout the centuries, including myself. Here, I believe, is Jesus' point in in crafting this story. Just as the people of this world use money as a tool to open doors for themselves, which is what the shrewd manager did, so Jesus was saying, I want my people to use money as a tool to open doors for redemptive relationships that will result in people ending up in heaven. That's what he was saying. Real shrewdness, real wisdom in money management involves leveraging your resources for the maximum eternal impact for the maximum number of people so that they will receive you, he says, into eternal dwellings. Eternal, eternal, eternity. How many things last forever? Your car is not going to last forever. It might not last Mine might not last another month or two. I worry about them sometimes. Things on this earth are not going to last forever. What are the things that do last forever? God, the triune God, will be around forever. God's dwelling place lasts forever. God's word endures forever. And people, people, the souls of men and women will last forever. But money won't. We said earlier, you can't buy your way into heaven. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but you can use your money here and now to open doors and win friends and influence people for Jesus Christ so that they will be in heaven forever. That's what he was saying. I wonder, think about this. What would it be like to arrive in heaven one day to a welcoming committee? Lots of people who are excited to meet you and extremely grateful for you because your generous giving down here on the earth resulted in them having an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe it and be saved and end up in heaven, and now they're there waiting for you to arrive. 
How would that feel to have people running up to you and hugging you, white Westerners, dark-skinned Africans, neighbors who live near you and people who live on the other side of the world? What would it be like to have that happen to you when you arrive in heaven one day to get mobbed by people who are saying with tears, thank you, thank you so much for investing your resources so that I could be here today? Because it was through your giving that I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would that be like? I'll tell you what it would be like. It would be fun. (laughs) That would be a lot of fun. That would be joyful. It would be wonderful. I think Jesus made up this story of this clever, creative manager who used his master's resources to ingratiate himself with other people and open doors for himself. I think he, he crafted that story to make this point. Money is meant to be a tool. In this life, a tool, not a God, just a tool to be used to win friends and open doors for the gospel so that people can hear the gospel and be saved and end up in heaven forever. That's why we receive an offering here every week so that you can give generously in an ongoing way, giving a portion of God's money back to Him to be used to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ both here in our community and around the world. That's why we take up free will offerings every so often for kingdom ventures like we did not long ago where we underwrote the printing of the gospel pamphlet, that little green pamphlet that we are blanketing our community with. And now we have people coming to this church, maybe even sitting in this room right now, from the west side of Gehanna where we distributed those five or six months ago. Remember, you sow in one season and you reap in another season, right? That gospel pamphlet that you underwrote the printing of tens of thousands of copies is now making its way all over the world, being translated into different languages. I want to get to heaven one day and have somebody I don't know from a far eastern culture say, thank you. Through you and others, I was introduced to Jesus Christ, my Savior. That would be a glorious day. We take offerings to help missionaries get to the field to print gospel-saturated books for distribution in Russia and Africa. We receive a special Christmas offering every year. It's Jesus' birthday, remember? Christmas is Jesus' birthday. And so we receive a special offering, Christmas present for Jesus that we collect and then we give it all away. This year we're going to do it a little different. We're going to take up what's sometimes called a reverse offering. For our Christmas offering. You know how when the offering bags go by and we're worshiping at the end, you know, you know how usually you put things in. Well, next week we're going to have a reverse offering. That's where you take money out. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? <laughs> yeah, and, and we're going to ask you to take that money that you pull out of the offering bag next week and get creative with your family and multiply that. Try to multiply it tenfold and then bring it back on Christmas weekend and give it to Jesus for his birthday present. And we'll give it away to bless our partners in Makono and in Las Anonas. Wouldn't that be cool? All to open doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to win friends and influence people towards Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's what will last forever. So I say, thank God for money. It's a wonderful tool for helping people know the gospel so they can believe it and be saved. All right, one last statement from Jesus. 
for today, a very bold, brash, authoritative statement made by the sovereign Son of God who towers over all of humanity and yet knows the individual heart of every man and woman and child. It's a penetrating statement. It cuts to the heart of the matter like a scalpel through soft flesh. It gets deep. You cannot serve God and money. Would you repeat that with me? You cannot serve God and money. Matthew 6, 24. Here's the larger context. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that cuts deep, doesn't it? That exposes the the deepest allegiances in our hearts. And implicit here, I think, is the notion that everybody's going to serve something. Everybody has a master. Something or someone rules the heart of every single individual on the planet. You say, how can I tell what my master is or what someone else's master really is? Well, think about these things. What you think will make you happy reveals it. What you are fearful of reveals it. What you long for often reveals what your master is. What makes you feel secure or insecure reveals who or what is sitting on the throne of your heart. What you feel threatened by, what causes you to feel significant or insignificant, all of these things point to the identity of our chosen master in our lives, that that thing or that person that rules in our hearts. Jesus said this, you cannot serve God and money, and, and, and he knows human beings because he made human beings. He knows our hearts are not wired for multiple allegiances with equal intensity. And so what he's saying is this, in the final analysis, one thing consumes us more than anything else. One passion dominates our hearts. We're inclined to serve one vision over all other visions. One master is sitting on the throne. So what is it? What is your master? What is your child's master? What is your teenager's master? What is your functional master? I'm telling you today that Jesus believed that God deserves to be your master and my master. That's what Jesus believed. That God deserves that the throne of our hearts, that God deserves to be our single passion and obsession, our primary allegiance. He also believed that God has a rival for the throne of our hearts. You cannot serve God and money. You see, Jesus believed that money was God's chief rival for the mastering of our hearts. Money. And by implication, the things that money can buy in this world, like power, and influence, and status, and fame, and security, and comfort, and ease, and pleasure, and freedom. In a sense, then, money can become, for human beings, a God substitute, or what we would call a, an idol, right? Can money become an idol? Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, can, can, can we get all consumed with money, and the acquiring of money, and thinking about the acquiring of money and accumulating the things money can buy and investing it and spending it and enjoying it and dreaming about it. We know this can happen. This can happen to believers. 
in Christ. Now, some people, some Christians want to pretend that they can actually serve two masters. You know, we can multitask in lots of other ways, right? So I think I can, I think I can serve God and, and let God have a part in my life and, and also be obsessive about money too. I, I think I can do that. I think I can have God as my Lord and money as my Lord. I want both. I like what both can supply for me. But you know, in my experience, this is the truth. Inevitably, what holds true is that we will use one to serve the other. Jesus said that. You can't do it. You'll love the one and hate the other, be devoted to the one, despise the other. My experience is that I am inclined to use one to serve the other. I'll either use God to serve money, God, get me more, make him a means to an end, or I will use money to serve God. And the implication here is that we have a choice, right? It's interesting to me what Jesus does not say here, what he doesn't appeal to. He, he doesn't here say, you know, you can't serve two masters because God won't stand for it, although that's true. God is a jealous God. He wants our undivided, single-hearted devotion. But that's not what he said. He said, you can't, you know, you can't serve two masters because you can't. You're not wired to serve two masters, You're going to serve one or the other. It's in you to be ruled by one dominating thing. And so he implies that we must make a choice. Which will it be, Steve? Many times in my life, which will it be, Steve? Who's going to be on the throne of your heart? Who's going to rule you? What's going to be your single obsession? Is it going to be God or money and the things money can buy? Which is it? Don't think, Steve, that you can serve both. You can't. Somebody's going to get the short shrift on that. Decide if God is your God or money is your God, and that choice will affect just about everything else about you for here and for eternity. You cannot serve God and money. So these are strong words from our Savior very strong, but life-giving words because they're truth and they're wisdom and they come from Jesus Christ. So to close, I want to review these all again and as I do, I'm going to ask you to circle maybe one or two of these statements that is speaking to you the most these days and then we'll pray. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus said, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. And Jesus said, you cannot serve God and Let's pray together. I want to ask a couple questions. How many of you, we're all at different places in this room, but I'm, I'm just curious. How many of you do feel like, I, I get, I understand that God owns everything. I get that. Would you lift your hands? I understand that. Praise God. I hope that's true, that there's that many of us who realize God's ownership. I know the Lord has been speaking to many of us on this issue 
And I'm wondering how many of you would say, God has been speaking to me, and there's some, there's some changes I think the Lord wants me to make in my life in this area of how I view money, how I handle money, how I think about it. I, I think there are some changes God wants me to make in my life. Would you lift your hands all around the room? Changes, yeah. Okay. You can put your hands down. Well, I want to pray for all of us, and our, our prayer partners are going to come and be available to pray with you in just a moment as we worship. Some of you, I suspect, just need, you know, we talked about loss earlier and grief, and perhaps that's what you're dealing with these days, and I would encourage you to come and be prayed with just to receive the healing salve of God's grace upon your heart through the prayer of a brother or a sister. And you can come. Maybe you're struggling in an area this morning. Maybe you're, you're facing a storm in your life. Maybe you need a breakthrough. Something's just blocking you hearing God's voice. Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you're coming alive to the fact that you need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. I'm going to encourage you to come in these next few moments and let one of our prayer partners pray with you about these matters. I know you'll be glad that you did. Our Father, thank you for the life-giving words of Jesus. Thank you. Lord, without his words, without your word, we would just be drifting around in life, tossed and blown around by every wind of doctrine, every current fad. We would believe commercials and billboards and things that give us messages that actually are counter to what you taught us. So thank you so much for your words. Bring us, I pray, bring our hearts into alignment with the truth. And speaking of our hearts, Lord, if we have allowed an idol to take the place in our heart that you should be, would you please reveal that to us even in this moment? Lord, if that's the case, may we repent humbly and return Jesus Christ to his rightful place in our hearts. Thank you for letting us be a church family and be able to worship together. Lord, we want to worship you now. Lord, for those who need prayer, prompt them to come and receive your grace through the prayers of their brothers and sisters. We love you. We thank you for your word to us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.